there's some dangerous large uh, carnivore out there. Yeah, I saw that bird pick a young deer off the road and fly away. And uh, it was just about getting dark, and we started panicking, running down the bridge, not really having any clue of storing rocks in our vicinity, good-sized rocks. And uh, I stopped long enough to get a 357 out of my backpack and look back, and that's when I thought I saw one. Monster X, um, 
they really don't, I think, maybe some of them do, but they really don't know Gunnar Monson like I do. They just don't. And I think it's important. Um, you interviewed me uh, a while back, and um, I really didn't want to did. do it. Uh, yeah, and it was a great interview, I thought, uh, uh, and a really good guest. But, <laughs> but uh, it was awesome. You know, serious, yeah, but, you know, seriously, uh, you know, I, I really wanted to have you on and interview you. And because uh, I, I think it's important that the audience knows um, who's behind the mic and what they're about. And we proclaim and, and to be researchers and students of the subject and everything else. Um, so this is why you're here. And I'm looking forward to this interview. I'm going to grill you. Uh, we were joking earlier about this. I'm going to grill you. I'm really not, but uh, no. yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had mentioned waterboarding, so I'm, I'm actually wearing my dry fit clothing today. I have a nice onesie oh. that that says <laughs> so well, ho- water away. Yeah. I I'm ready. Okay. Well, Gunner, uh one of uh one of the things that you do to open up a show with a guest uh, involved in this research is to ask them a question. And that question is, what the heck got you into uh into this subject matter? What brought you into the world of Sasquatch? Where did your interest come from? Well, it's interesting because I I always think there's like three doorways into Bigfooting that I've found. One is people have uh, a confirmation encounter. You know, they see they see a Bigfoot, and um, you know, there's then some people like that. It's a one-time deal, and they they move on with their lives. And other people uh, become obsessed with the subject. I mean, they want to know what you know the the nature of what they saw was you know, something that didn't exist before. Uh, the second way is is uh, through, um, and it's the way that I came into Bigfooting as a kid, I always had a kind of curious nature. I liked uh, all kinds of things that were mysterious. Um, and, of course, I grew up in, in Oregon, so we had our own monster, per se, or our own unknown creature in our backyard, and that was Bigfoot. That growing up, I you know I read the John Green books, um, watched in search of. Uh, I even and one of they had a, a, a Sasquatch movie that uh, uh, they actually showed in the theater in Portland, and, and afterwards they they uh, gave out stills from the Patterson Gimlin uh, footage, and uh, that that was really interesting to me. I mean, it just the idea that there was. Uh, an unknown giant ape, per se, in running around the woods that um, that we couldn't, you know, people got glimpses of and found footprints and there was, but uh, that was kind of my entry in. You know, I grew up, uh, got kind of got away from it, and then uh, when, when I first got on the Internet, right after Al Gore invented it, I... Uh, <laughs> one of the first things that I looked up was Bigfoot. And this was back way back before, when I was young, They before, uh, you know, um, Facebook, and uh, there was a, like, chat list. And uh, I found, got on this chat list, and um, I know it was ran by Henry Franzoni. <clears throat> Excuse me. I know that Matt Moneymaker was on that chat list, and this was even pre BFRO. 
and uh, was on that and chatted with people about Bigfoot and stuff and reports and and uh, then that at one some point Henry shut that down and and uh, kind of uh, went to the side and and then sometime later on I found the BFRO excuse me and uh, that was fairly actually fairly early in in uh, the after the Matt had started BFRO. Um, I was there through all the, the mass exodus of people and and uh, you know infighting and but but uh, yeah, I, I actually was there pre um, ex- public expeditions. I remember when it was being discussed. You know, hey, I have this idea to get a bunch of people together and everybody put in a certain amount of money and then we'll use that money to buy equipment and. Um, kind of that was the original concept for the public expeditions for the BFRO and it, it uh, changed from that to to I think kind of a more of an enterprise uh, where it was a money making thing so um, I went I actually went on a, a BFRO expedition up in Washington uh, in the Mount Adams area um, not too long before um, they found the Skookum cast. Uh, I went up there with, uh, I don't know, there was maybe 20 people or something and um, didn't have anything happen at that, that expedition. Um, I ended up going on a, and in between that time, uh, they had, they had the, the, the expedition where they found the Skookum cast, which kind of fuel, continued to fuel my interest in the subject. And then uh, I went on a uh, expedition to New Mexico, which was was an interesting experience. Um, and I actually uh, had Matt Moneymaker riding around with me during the time that I was there because I had a rental car and he didn't. Um, I joked and, and and I said that you know Matt and I I, I took a shower with Matt because we actually went to a truck stop. And we took them separately, by the way. Uh, but but uh, we hung out during that time, and and I, he he invited me to be an investigator for the BFRO, which which I did for uh, for quite some time. I'm going to take a breath now. Yeah. So <laughs> for the listening audience, and I'm sure a lot of people are aware of what the BFRO is. You know, Bigfoot uh, Field or um, Research Organization. Research. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so uh, you truly, Gunner, were there at the beginning of the BFRO. Uh, you pretty know, you're kind of a yeah, well, pretty dang close uh, before, mm-hmm. and then got involved, you know, with it. How long were you um, a member of the BFRO? Um, well, I don't know if they've ever actually taken me out. I, I kind of became inactive uh, mm-hmm. about three years ago, but. Um, Probably, I'd say going on 10 years, you know, I I uh, was an active investigator for the BFRO. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, and, and being a part of uh, the BFRO at that time, what were some of the things, where, where were some of the trips you, I mean, where did you go? What was expected out of you? I think a lot of people understand um, the BFRO when it comes to being a researcher. What did that involve? Well, the the idea behind it, I mean, is if you're a, a investigator, 
is there's uh, a place called FLATS in the BFRO, which is where reports go before they ever before they're investigated. So basically, the raw reports go into FLATS, and um, different investigators uh, take responsibility for investigating um, these reports. And let me tell you, there I mean, there's always a backlog of reports. At least there was when I was an active investigator. Um, way more reports come in than than uh, um, can be handled. Obviously, it's a volunteer organization, and uh, <clears throat> there's some fans. You know, the, it was a great it was a great experience for me being a, a BFRO uh, member and investigator. I got to meet cool witnesses. You know, talk and do go on investigations. I went and that's where I met uh, David Ellis, who's with the Olympic Project now, and Scott Taylor. Um, and, uh, in fact, I investigated a report up in, um, out of Aberdeen with David and uh, John Callender. And uh, it, was, it was one that ended up not being published. I did find there was a little bit of, uh, how do I say it, censorship, uh, if things didn't fit within a certain parameter, uh, because the investigation that we did up there out of Aberdeen, the witness uh, it, it, the the uh, account had actually, or the encounter had happened like 10 years previously, and the area by there had been logged at that time. And uh, there was a particular stump, this, you know, the, the uh, gentleman and his son, or grandson, I can't remember, were riding on a, a three-wheeler, and they were switching positions um, with a, the, and, and the white Bigfoot supposedly was sitting there in some red clay, stood up, took off, and there was actually a stump that still existed when we got there. Well, when we measured it, and it's a certain, the stump supposedly hit it like at the shoulders. So this this big foot uh, would have been, I'm, and David Ellis would correct me if I was wrong, because I, I remember when I said this, this, the estimated height, I think, was like 14 feet. I think it might have been, would have been, and for me, that was even a stretch. But right. that report, because of that, it didn't fit in um, a certain criteria. 14-foot Bigfoot was not um, acceptable. So um, that that report did not uh, get published publicly. So there is kind of a boneyard of reports that sometimes that people, you know, that reports got investigated and they, um, they're not released publicly because they don't. That, that was my experience. Um, which, <clears throat> Which which was a little frustrating because I thought you know that's the report. I mean that um, it it was a stretch for me as an investigator and as a, somebody you know like fourteen foot. How does a fourteen foot tall white bigfoot hide? You know, but mm-hmm. that was the that was the 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 encounter. So right um, now yeah yeah now you know, how many? I mean the, the flats. Uh, this area where where these reports are are sent embedded to and, and researchers um, uh, pick up, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it would imagine it's it's an area. You know, they would obviously go, you know, into an area of interest that you know these reports are being sent to. I mean, they're going out to look at these reports on, in the flats, and if it's close to them, mm-hmm. I would imagine they go and, and research them there. Well, How many? There's got to be a lot of reports in the flats, right, that aren't investigated because mm-hmm. uh, of time and of importance, at least uh, seen to the 
to the researcher and the lack of researchers, possibly. Well, right. As like I was saying, it's it's a volunteer organization, so um, there's a lot. There's a, always there was my experience. There was always a a backlog of reports in flats. I mean, hundreds of reports that hadn't been right. investigated. We're waiting for somebody to to uh, take them on and and do the investigation. I, I know there were occasions where people did phone interviews with people. You know, I remember because there was a, a report here in Oregon that uh, a sighting on the beach uh, near, fairly close to where I, I live now, and um, it was actually investigated, if I remember right, by somebody in Florida. So they had called the witness and the investigation over the phone. So, Yeah. What's amazing to me is that, and I'm sure I've heard this, uh, that there are so many, well, obviously a, a lot of uh, reports sent that just never get investigated. And, you, you know, mm-hmm. you mentioned hundreds. That's mm-hmm. pretty pretty dang interesting for for the layman that doesn't know anything about this or the, the flats, you know, that are listening to the show going, there's that many reports not being investigated. You know, that's pretty uh, pretty interesting stuff. Oh, yeah. It, I mean, it, and some, it, it's cool because as an investigator, um, you know, you could go in and read. I would I spend hours reading just the different reports um, in flats. It, it was kind of cool to have the access to you know the the reports that that hadn't ever made it to the public. Um, and you know if if um, anyone's been in and looked at the reports, the database for the BFRO, it's pretty extensive. There's thousands of reports that are are posted that are public. And uh, um, I I had a tendency to like reports that were more recent than than historical. Uh, you know that's um, yeah. It's it's a yeah, little bit. Like, you know, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say you know kind of like a, a cold case. You know you may refer back to uh, an older report to gain knowledge of a more recent report, kind of like a cold case sort of scenario. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I and I. Um, there's huge value in, in historical reports, you know, in in terms of a, uh, a large database. Um, looking and and the Olympic Project does all that. Has, takes takes data, puts it in. Um, I'm always, I you know, I I'm kind of a data nerd, so I like to see what patterns come out of. Um, and and Tom Baker and and other members of the Olympic Project have done a fantastic job of. Like taking a lot of reports and finding uh, statistical uh, information about it. What you know? What time of day are there spikes of? In what time of day that do sightings occur? You know, um, in locate in this location. And I mean, it it helps as we talk about the you know the needle in the haystack with the moving needle. It it helps yeah. narrow that, make that. Uh, Haystack a little bit smaller, and anything we can do. Um, if you're if you're a Bigfoot investigator and your uh, goal is is proving the existence of of Bigfoot, um, predictability is a big um, asset that mm-hmm. that uh, um, gives us a little bit more of a uh, edge when we're chasing something that. Obviously, is superior to um, us in the woods. Right now, 
You know, a lo- for me personally, the BFRO, the, especially the the website uh, and all everything that's going on there, especially the reports, have been of great interest and help to me personally. Uh, I know the BFRO takes a lot of heat um, at times, um, but it, it, its database is it's huge and, and growing. Um, and and uh, you know, there's always um, wins and losses to uh, an organization, right? Now you have, mm-hmm. just like you have with anything else in life, you know, but with the BFRO you have really good researchers and you have some less than uh, favorable researchers. But more specifically, the question I'll pose to you is, uh, what, you know, having left the BFRO, uh, mm-hmm. what did you take, what were the pros and cons for you? What did you take away of value? Uh, and, and what are your thoughts on the BFRO as a whole? Oh, that is a uh, loaded question. No, I, um, Ka-ching. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I feel the waterboarding come on. Yeah, <laughs> feel it. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's hard Get to breathe. Breath. Um, <laughs> when to me, there's a lot of good in in the BFR. Like you said, there I met great people, and if you go um, through Bigfooting in the Pacific Northwest. A vast majority of of known Bigfoot researchers spent did, did their turn in the BFRO. Uh, yeah, did their time. Of, <laughs> right. I mean, Cliff was a, a BFRO investigator or a member of the BFRO. I'm sure he was an investigator. Tom Powell was uh, unceremoniously chucked out of the the BFRO. Bobo, uh, I don't know if he's still in the BFRO. You know, I don't know their status um, unless yeah. they. I uh, have got kicked out. Todd Neese was a member of the BFRO and his lovely wife Diane. Um, or I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if Todd was ever a member. I again, some of them. I know that but, Diane but, was. Yeah. Point being, there was a lot. I mean, and you're right. Right. Uh, a lot right. of the it, kind the, of the more, more well-known researchers, the more more well-known mm-hmm. researchers were at one time uh, associated or a part of uh, the BFRO. There's a lot of them, and I'm sure there's yeah. you know, a lot that weren't. But but the but the, you know, and I, I, I'm a pretty positive person, and you know, people get on Matt Moneymaker, and he can rub people the wrong way, and his character on TV is is blown up to make him look a bit more of, of an ass than he actually is. Um, I've been around Matt on several occasions, and I, we we have a friendly relationship. You know, we don't hang out, um, but you know, I. I have been on Finding Bigfoot a couple times because the BFRO put out a request for people to come and and uh, participate. So um, I don't have I don't hold any ill feelings toward the BFRO. Really, my transition out of the BFRO was because um, I transitioned into the Tillamook Forest Research Group. Um, we found uh, an area that that uh, seems to have regular activity and and. As much as I uh, respect the fact of uh, how the importance of investigating historical reports, um, I it's a little bit of ambulance chasing, you know. But they kind of what they do on on uh, finding Bigfoot, you go from one location right. and then you go to the next location and then you go to the next location, and you know that uh, I found an area with and and one of the things for me as I've always said is. I, you know, if I'm going to be involved with people uh, Bigfooting, I want to 
I just want to hang out with people that I like and, and enjoy their company because uh, a lot of times you go out in Bigfoot and you're not going to have some uh, incredible uh, Bigfoot encounter. You're going to be hanging out with the people, you know, hanging out with the people that that uh, you're in the field with. So, um, I, I it was really more that I, I wanted to focus on uh, a single location um, or area, and uh, and we've had pretty good re- success, in, at least as um, having a lot of things happen um, that we can't, that I can't explain um, by known animals, and and to the point now that we've had. Um, and, it, and the area that we're in has a historical uh, a history of of reports. So it's an area that and it's fairly close to me. So I'm not you know I'm not driving two hours to go investigate a report that happened ten years ago. I'm going up and with the intent of collecting data, um, having experience. I you know I still I, I refer to it as the confirmation experience when somebody sees a bigfoot. There's no, you know, um, it, that, that does it. it. It's proved in your mind. And until I think any reasonable person, for the most part, if you don't have that confirmation experience, you have to reserve some part of, like, that it, that it, are they real? And there's that doorway of, I think, when somebody walks through and has that confirmation experience, that it goes from are they to what are they? Is right. It, it is what is the nature of what I saw? I mean, how could these things exist uh, along in parallel to man, and uh, and us not know you know not have uh, con- conclusive proof? Uh, it, it and the, it's the mystery part of that that really still drives me now. Is like this is it's cool. I you know I I would. You know, then I'm, I'm kind of on the fence of whether or not I want them to be proven. Um, I I get you know for conservation purposes and and uh, um, but in in that you know people say well we need to um, and and I'm non I'm a no kill I'm on the no kill side of the fence. Um, yeah, I I, I um, understand that it's going to take a body or it's going to take a specimen alive or dead. Or some, I mean, really, the only alternative that to to proving the existence is a long-term, like Jane Goodall study, where where it's not fuzzy pictures, it's it's hardcore evidence that can be replicated and documented over a period of time with DNA and and corroborating evidence with video, and you know, so but I don't want to be the one to shoot one. Um, I understand, and and that's. That's just a personal choice. I understand. You know, I'm friends with people that that want, would like to prove, know that the only way we're going to get, and they're willing to go shoot one to 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 prove them. And that, you know, that that's yeah. their choice too. Good luck. I mean, if it was an easy thing to do, it had already been done. So, right. Yeah. So you uh, you depart from the BFRO, and uh, as I know, yeah. You yeah, didn't send well, me any yeah. letter in the mail. I, I never received yeah. confirmation. <laughs> so you're not you're no longer working with Bill Rowe per se. So, um, yeah, yeah. So, explain 
and obviously I know this because I'm a member, but explain exactly um, how the uh, you know, your transition from the BFRO. And mm-hmm. I remember the day. I remember you telling me you're going you were you were going to leave the BFRO, and I was like, I don't know. And you're like, Yeah, I'm going to. And um, explain how that transition transpired into the the Tillamook Forest Group, and those. Uh, I mean, how did that all come to, into uh, parishion, and and how did the members come to be? Who was involved? This is yeah. This is a. Uh... Interesting, and and I was still an active member of the BFRO at the time, and uh, I was I I wasn't active in an active investigator, and that was part of it too, as my decision to to uh, leave the BFRO or step down is because I wasn't I wasn't really contributing anything to the BFRO at that point. I wasn't an active investigator. Um, I would appear periodically go in and and uh, read reports and and uh, I uh, and that's what that was the uh, initial thing that that uh, happened that started the Tillamook Forest Research Group is there was a report um, I uh, in an area that I was interested in or always kind of had an interest in um, it's an area you know that's fairly close to me and uh, I it had a Basically, all the reports that I was aware of in that particular area were in the area where this report came from. And it was, I guess, the report was like a year old. And uh, I, it involved a, a gentleman who had actually made the report whose daughter had been out um, with some friends camping and uh, had something yell at them, uh, whooping and howling at them, uh, for I think for like I want to say two hours I can't remember the that time frame. Do you remember yeah, off the yeah. top of your head what? Yeah, okay. yeah. And it, it was roughly two hours. Yeah. Right. So for for a couple hours, and then the next night, I I believe it started up again. Um, one of the, the the people that were with with the the witness um, yelled, "Shut up!" They put in it stopped. I was. I thought that was amusing. Because apparently, they knows their name. I wonder if they right. <laughs> hey Jack, knock it off if, they, if it would have stopped. But so um, that report was submitted to the VFRO. Uh, an investigator uh, who became part of the Tillamook Forest uh, group and and is still an active investigator for the VFRO, Cindy Cadell, um, and her husband uh, met with the witness's father. Um, in fact, I think first, and this this gentleman is Larry Turner, who be, is also a member, as a, our good friend and and um, one of the founding yeah. members of the, the Tillamook Forest Research Group. And uh, I believe he and and his boss and his friend Mark went up there the next weekend and recorded some screams back and forth. Uh, yeah. And then um, the next weekend. Uh, Cindy and her husband Jared m- met Mark and and Larry up there, and they had some more screams that went on, and uh, and then uh, so typically what would happen, you know, in in a BFR report or anytime you're investigating a partic- one particular report, it gets basically you do the re- 
report, it gets filed away, and that's basically kind of it. And, you know, the witness goes back to their life, and the investigator goes back to their life, and that's it. And that, except um, in this case, um, you had a uh, kind of obsessive guy <laughs> in Larry who, <laughs> who had had, it, interestingly, was continued, he and, and his friend Mark um, continued to go to the location um, for a, from, I think this uh, initially took place like at the end of August. Well, they, all that that fall and winter and spring and the next summer, they continued to go back to the location with frequency, had more stuff happen, found you know, a muddy footprint, found some others, had other audio stuff happen. And so I read the report, was interested in it. I got a hold of Cindy, um, who I had never met, but um, I think we were friends online because we're Facebook friends. And uh, I actually then met her at um, Guy Edwards' Pop Squatch. Right. And I asked, I, all I did was ask Cindy if she'd tell me where, what the location was because it was vague in the report. And... Uh, she did, be- she did better than that. She actually arranged for uh, Larry and and herself, and I didn't know who all was showing up the day that um, we arranged to to meet up there and, and uh, look at the area and, and camp out overnight. So I, I show up. Um, I'm driving up there in this area. There's there's a lot of ATV trails, and I'm driving up, and I'm hearing gunfire, and I'm hearing ATVs, and I'm thinking there's no stinking way. And I'm, that's not the exact word I was thinking at the time, but I'm thinking there is no way that there is that Bigfoot are hanging out in this area. And I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, I'll I, and I pull up, I get out, and this guy in his camel came up and introduced himself. I'm Larry, and. Uh, <laughs> Um, I was, I was, I was a you know a little cautious. I'm always you, when you're meeting somebody new and and they have a bigfoot story and some, uh, it, you're kind of sizing the person up as you know are they um, are they BSing me and mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, but but we got along you know we spent Lindy or Lindy Cindy showed up in a, a while later and. Um, we talked, and, and then they kind of had a routine of things that they did. It got to be dark. Um, Larry had uh, been out hunting, I believe, earlier, hiking, and, and tweaked his knees, so he stayed um, in our camp, and Cindy and I um, walked to, to the sloop, and they would stop and knock on a particular tree and... and uh, and then do a call, and then, um, so we did that. Cindy did a call, like Larry did a call, and then Cindy and I went our, made our way back to camp. Didn't hear anything. Well, when we got back to camp, um, Larry said, well, when he did his call, he heard, got some kind of response, that he had a, a howl or a scream um, from east of where we were camp. And uh, so... Uh, so that's cool. Um, you know, I'm still thinking there's no way that there's that there's Bigfoot up here. I'm I'm very pragmatic about stuff. I I, I still will not today will tell you that of all the things that I've heard and experienced in our research area, 
Um, I cannot see anything definitively as Bigfoot. I've not seen a Bigfoot. I, you know, um, and I've heard some weird stuff that that I can't explain any other by any known animal. But until I, you know, know that it's Bigfoot, I've heard knocks now. So anyway, so Larry uh, had this uh, fancy new recorder called the Tabs Cam, and uh, had a location that that he would always put his Tabs Cam. So he and I walk over to, to deploy his Tascam. Um, it's first day uh, that uh, he was using it. So um, on our way over to to uh, deploy it, um, there's a scream from the same direction that Larry had heard his scream. And, and now my interest has peaked a little bit. You know, it didn't sound like coyote to me. It didn't sound like, okay, that's interesting. And uh, so we go back to camp and sit down and around campfire, and and, uh, and then it um, then it started. And basically, what happened was for the next two hours, it was about ten o'clock when when we deployed the the recorder, and we um, sat down in our camp chairs, and um, for the next two hours, it start this audio stuff started in the east and moved through um, south of our, our campsite. Whoops and howls and screams and all. I mean, it was in, um, not constant, but moving. And uh, my brain the whole time was like, okay, could it be people? You know, it um, didn't hear vehicle. It's not in an area where there's a lot of roads. Um, and I had a bionic ear, which I was listening to, of course, not recording with, but listening. And uh, just about uh, midnight, all of a sudden, I, had, I was sitting next to Larry, um, listening on, with my bionic ear. And all of a sudden, there's, we, we call it, we refer to it as the crescendo. All of a right. sudden, there's like all this wreckage, like whoops and screams and, and stuff. And the, the weird thing is my brain I, I immediately think, well, maybe it is people because I could hear and I now, it kind of was like samurai chatter, what they refer to as samurai chatter, but it sounded like somebody talking underneath all this whooping and screaming and stuff, And because I actually took my headset off and threw it so that I could hear what was going on. And and that went on, you know, for a short period of time, and then it stopped. No more whoops, no more hollers, no more screams. And Larry and I looked at each other, <laughs> And it's funny because when that happened, Cindy was actually had her grandson with her and was putting him in the tent during the crescendo. She had heard a lot, some of that. And this was going to be cool because we got this on a recorder. And uh, Larry and I just looked at each other because one of the interesting things is the statement Larry had made earlier today. One of these days I want to hear samurai chatter. And that was very much what it sounded like in amongst the other audio stuff that was going on there. And I'm sure my jaw would hit the ground. And uh, if that was uh, that that incident hooked me on that area, and like, mm-hmm. okay, I'll, I'll come. I think I'll come back here. Um, yeah. The next morning, Larry went to retrieve his task, and we're excited to hear. And it recorded for about two seconds. Um, not. <laughs> <laughs> and I I seriously thought I was, was going to see a grown man cry. Uh, and that was, and, and I thought Larry might cry too, but uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that that incident, like okay, there's um, 
and and at that point it was basically it was um, Cindy and Jared. More Cindy because Jared, I think, really bigfoots with Cindy because it's to do some, something together as a couple. It's not really his real area of interest, but so it was basically Cindy and Larry and I were going to work together, and, we're, and I said we need to make this a research area. And it was and it was great because we were all very different. To me, I was just honored to, you know, I appreciated that Cindy allowed me to come into her research area and uh, have that experience. Because I've not, yeah, I've, let, I've heard let, some weird stuff before, me, but that was the most big footy thing that had ever happened to me. So go right, ahead. I'm going to cut you off a little bit and just backtrack a little mm-hmm. bit. Now, I've heard some, you know, this is way before, this is before I got involved with the the Tilma group. Uh, and mm-hmm. I was invited to there and whatnot. And mm-hmm. uh, oh, I, I remember that. Were, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was <laughs> nothing nice. uh, but uh, you know, to give a background too, though, you know, we have Cindy Cadell, and we have her husband, who's a who's a he's a cop, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, he's he's one of the most skeptical guys in the field. And this mm-hmm. this, this particular event, I know he's talked to me about this, kind of blew his mind. Um, mm-hmm. You know, to play devil's advocate. You know, uh, for those listening, they might be saying, um, as when I originally heard this, uh, not the recording, or mm-hmm. not what you guys reported, Story. I thought, sounds very much like coyote activity. You know, they'll yip, 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 and then they'll, they'll cut yeah. off. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, no. but the, the thing that was interesting <laughs> to me was the, the amount of distance the, uh, the sounds traveled. I mean, uh, something was moving. And there was this chatter, uh, quite unlike a coyote. Uh, and I've heard coyotes, and we've heard coyotes in the Tilmoak area countless mm-hmm. times. What was interesting to me was um, those involved listening to this who are very experienced in the field and heard all sorts of animals uh, saying that, wow, this was, uh, this was crazy. And I remember one of the things that you guys had said to me was it sounded like the general uh, thought was it was almost like a hunting party. Uh, I remember that specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it, and and I'm still. I mean, like, uh, I was I was blown away at the time. It's like, uh, and my and then I was the other part of my mind is like, why would it, an animal be make be vocalized, especially an animal that is you know trying to re, it seems to to uh, want to be, remain undetected for the most part. Uh, when I thought about um, this, I believe it was on a Friday is when we met up there. Well, the two days immediately before that, we had very extreme weather with lightning and thunder and thunderstorms and and uh, and the crescendo thing to me. And Larry, and that was kind of our upon discussing it. It's like, what were they? What, if those are Bigfoot, what were? Why would they be making all that noise? And uh, um, it, the conclusion that our theory or our guess, our best guess was, well, maybe they were hunting something. You know, they're driving something to a choke point. And, I mean, it, the distance that was covered, you know, um, any t- was not, t- did not rule out any known animal to me. I mean, deer, elk, you know, any animal could have moved that distance in two hours. Um, I just didn't think it would made sense that it was that it was people that were moving in the direction without the sound you know it certainly wasn't people walking and it uh, 
and there was not vehicle noise during that time. So um, that was we did, and and I you know, again, it's not something I say definitively. That's what we. That was our best guess of what what the sounds we could attribute to if what we were listening to Bigfoot. I, I am, again, I I do not state definitively that I heard Bigfoot. I heard something off the charts weird. Um, Larry will say, you know, strange-o-meter. It was, it was a 10 on my strange-o-meter. So it like, um, it, w- it was interesting enough to me to get me to come back. And uh, so we then, you know, um, I was I not not to be protective of the area, but to uh, maintain the integrity of the area. I I requested that we not uh, disclose the exact location, not you know not name uh, uh, landmarks or or whatever. Uh, and uh, as far as I was, it was basically by default I became the lead investigator of the. The um, um, Tillman Forest Group, and uh, Larry, it was there. We were all very deferential at the time. To me, I, I would have been happy if Cindy was the lead investigator, uh, but I, you know, she saw me as the senior BFRO person there, and and it, and, and this became more of a you know, somebody if somebody's going to be the leader per se, then. It ended up being me. I don't want it. I got the short stick. But it's been a, it's been a, a really fun experience. We've added um, people. You know, we've had a few people leave. Um, it was. Uh, I think Cindy was really open to sharing it with people, and uh, um, which and there were, you know there was that adjustment time of well, where we, how do we handle this? Who and uh, for me. Um, the not not making it not broadcasting uh, what we were doing and where we were doing it was more about maintaining the integrity of if you're going to have a research area that you don't just go broadcast. Hey, we're going to because I think you know you're already having to filter out. Um, there's there are areas where there there are other people in the area, so. Um, and there happens to be a very popular show on Animal Planet that teaches people to go out in the woods and scream and yell and knock at trees. Right. So to say that I'm going to this specific area and I'm going to be doing Bigfoot research um, and make it a, a real public thing, I think uh, open makes that increases the difficulty of of vetting evidence because you then you never know, you know, um, and. And so there was a whole process of uh, what are we going to do? Because there was real no no data collection up to that point. You know, there right. was basically a series of experiences that, and and God bless Larry for being um, a, a bit obsessive uh, and and dedicated to because there wouldn't if Larry had not continued to keep going for that that year, um, we would have it probably would have never happened. Uh, right. So. Yeah, uh, I would never, you know, I was brought in um, kind of early on, 
And mm-hmm. uh, I would never have been there had it not been for Cindy and you and, and Larry, quite honestly, uh, being invited out there. Um, well, you let's know, back up for of, a second. Actually, yeah, but, Cindy invited you. Okay. Larry and I had correct, no idea yeah. you were coming. <laughs> correct. Yeah, Cindy I remember, did invite me. Yes, I do remember. <laughs> Larry was very protective of the area initially. Um, yeah, and, I was one of the first and, people and there, and was he a, was not happy about it. Right, and Cindy was very open and sharing of of the location with with other friends in the Bigfooting world, and uh, right. that that was a little bit because I remember the first time that I met you, um, I pulled up and um, somebody was pouring gasoline to start a fire, and there's these big huge flames shooting up, and and uh, and you know I I didn't know Larry that well at that point and he was a little came off a little grumpy to me as there's a who's a shame guy and, and and it's funny as now, you know, you guys are really good friends and and uh he calls you his Bigfoot son and and <laughs> Larry was very protective. And Larry, you know, Larry's perspective at that time was he wanted to get he wanted this to be taken seriously. And he wanted right um to to get the best experts well to him, the best experts in and Bigfooting were the guys that he saw on TV. So can we get exactly. Cliff here? Can we get Moneymaker here? And I, I said, in all honesty, Larry, that's probably not going to happen. So um, so we developed, you know, and uh, this team of people, um, Jeff Southern is, is part of our team, and, and Barbara is is still part of our team, so she's a little inactive. She's been very busy getting ready to graduate from, from school, and that she will be a biologist. Um and uh, and now Cindy and, and Jared have moved moved away, but uh, yeah. So it's we yeah, have a, cool. a good little group. We do. And, and I was going to say, we we some of the people involved now. You know, uh, there are amateur, including myself. Uh, you know, researchers. I, by that I mean I don't have credentials. I have experiences. You know, I'm I I I I'm an arborist. Uh, I'm a tracker, um, you know, a lot of different, you know, things. But we do have some people like Cindy, who's an archaeologist. We have uh, people like Barbara Oliveira that, you know, she's uh, a biologist now. And um, we also have included into the forest. Yeah, I'm a scientist. But (laughs) we do have people with credentials that, uh, you know, uh, maybe not be as experienced as some in the field, but bring a lot to the table. We, you know, we we got people we can bet to uh, uh, John, you know, John Finnernagel and Jeff Meldrum and um, others. You know, we work right alongside the Olympic Project. I think it's, I think it's important to note that, uh, and, and Gunnar, you will agree, I believe, you know, that part of um, the forming of the Tillamook Forest Group. Uh, you know, and we cover a vast area. We're not as focused on just a Tillamook forest area. Um, one of my areas of interest, obviously, is the Mount Hood area where I had my experience, and that that kind of gets into the, the the world of the Tillamook group here. It gets added in, but we we mm-hmm. are very much a collaborated group. You know, we work alongside other individuals and other groups mm-hmm. um, to share information and uh, you know, kind of put pieces to the puzzle. You know. No, and that's, um, and you know, I like my little sayings, and one of them is collaboration, not competition. I, 
I really seriously think that we'd be much further along in solving the mystery of whether, you know, this this creature, and, and to you, you know they exist. I mean, you've seen one. Um, yeah. We'd be much further along if if um, people worked together in the past. I think uh, there's been a lot of, uh, you know, you got people, I think there's some, been some ego bashing, you know, and, every, and some certain people want to be the man in the past and the one that discovers. I mean, it's a big thing. You think about it, you bring, you bring the definitive proof of this species to uh, the layman and, to, and scientists to the point that they can't deny it. And that is a shift for mankind. I mean, it's, this is not, you know, an insect that we're it's finding huge. or a butterfly. Yeah. This is it's huge. This is uh, a land ape. If if you and, and I'm an aper, um, I um, believe that they are. Into, I, I've had I've experienced nothing that tells me that they're anything other than an animal. Um, I and I know I've talked to you know I've been out bait flitting with Matt Johnson. Um, and he is experiencing things that I did not experience in the same time and space. So, um, I mean, and, and the thing is, it's funny because I'm not that close-minded about woo-woo stuff, but I don't think that, I think that Bigfoot, I, I don't know if there's portals, I don't know if they're, but I don't think <laughs> they were related to Bigfoot, um, that, and that is my thing. And so, and again, I think a reasonable person, until you experience that kind of activity, you're going to question whether or not that activity is is real or imagined or made up. Or I mean, it's just really hard. I mean, here we're already on a fringe topic. You know, exactly. We're on a we're we're the late, the common man and woman is not giving any thought to Bigfoot, and if they do, it's in a, it's the way that news processes it as entertainment or it's Harry and the Hendersons, or, oh, cool, I watched Finding Bigfoot, and, you know, um, they didn't find him again. And, uh, you know, it, but it's it's just, it's another it's another leap to me to, to uh, that they have paranormal abilities, and that, and, and that they're coming through a portal, and I've said this, if Bigfoot travels by portal, I'm out. I'm done. It's in the story because, well, one, I'm a Christian, so that to me gets into some really weird stuff because I don't think that's uh, Bigfooty. And believe me, I've had, I actually had this discussion with Matt Johnson. <laughs> so um, yeah, yeah. it was like, dude, what if, you know, and, and, we, and he has a heart, he has his beliefs and I have mine. You know, and I I don't mock other people's beliefs because that's or their their alleged experiences because that's what they are they think. Um, it's just not it's not been my experience. And um, if I again if I see a bigfoot step through a portal, I'm done. Um, bigfoot wins. I can't because I ain't going in the portal to chase him. And uh, <laughs> so. And uh, that means that Bigfoot has abilities that I can't fathom, and uh, I'll let somebody else chase them through the portal. Right if, um, now, Gunner, do you think do you think the fact that that uh, and, and I'm not calling anybody a liar, I'm not going there. Uh, it's, you know, 
I just I, like okay. yourself. I'm not. I you know, you know myself. I'm in the woods like every week, every weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never experienced anything like that. Um, but do you think that, uh, hypothetically speaking, of course, I'm not calling anybody out here, but that mm-hmm. the fact that people can't um, get solid proof. I mean, you know, a body, a, a really good video. A uh, good troll cam picture. I mean, really solid. I'm not talking. There's mm-hmm. very questionable ones out there. Some are very interesting. Um, uh, you know, uh, that that because they can't, they 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 eventually go. Okay, uh, I must be dealing with something paranormal uh, or something that uh, is beyond me. Do you think they they mm-hmm. tend to to kind of lean towards that direction? I mean, how, or or you think they're they're experiencing something of this nature? I mean. Not something. I'll be honest with you. It's not something I like to talk about because I, I just don't buy it personally. Um, mm-hmm. I've never experienced anything like that. I've been in the woods and going to different areas a lot for for a long frickin' time, and I I have seen a Sasquatch. I I have mm-hmm. experienced some strange stuff that I can always uh, assume is Sasquatch. Uh, you know, where, whether it's audio or in person, but I don't. I, I'm not there. I, I'm, I'm why, close to being you- there. You think? Why do I think that people? I have no idea, Shane. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I cannot. I mean, um, unfortunately, I do not have Bigfoot's telepathic powers to read people's minds as to what their motive might be. You know, um, I mean, you know, if you can't be king of uh, all things Bigfoot, maybe you can be king of all things paranormal Bigfoot. But there's some people that, to me, are seem Reasonable, of reasonably sound mind that that feel that that's um, the case. Um, but again, I that's not. And I, I don't think the word belief in, in this subject. I think, of course, it's overused. I don't. I don't believe right. in Bigfoot. I, Bigfoot. It doesn't matter if I believe in Bigfoot or not. Bigfoot either exists or Bigfoot doesn't exist. That's all there is to it. Doesn't matter what you know. It. It. Belief has nothing to do with it. Belief is more about faith and, you know, your religion and and that yeah. kind of thing than than. Uh, uh, but I don't I don't believe or disbelieve in Bigfoot. Bigfoot either exists or doesn't exist, independent right. of what I think. Right, and so and I'm pretty sure Bigfoot doesn't give a a, a rip about being proven to exist. <laughs> I don't think so either. Uh, having said that, you know um, everything that you've now you've never you've not had this confirmation sighting or or whatnot that you can say okay, Bigfoot, I mean there's something to that. I mean I'm sold. Mm-hmm. I mean this is it. Uh, right. um, you're you're a knower. Uh, you know you're not in my shoes. And <laughs> I I don't like being called right. a knower. I kind of hate that, but it's it it is what it is. I mean I I know they exist. What you, they are, you know. I will never I mean, Yeah, I don't know what yeah. they are, but I I do know they exist. I, my curiosity moves into how they exist. What what are they? That's where I'm mm-hmm. at now. Um, you walk but, through the doorway, right? And you have not or, walked through that doorway door. yet. But <laughs> what 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 experiences have you had personally um, that lead you up to? And I'm also including reports uh, in this this question here. Reports that you've mm-hmm. taken in. Um, but also your personal experiences that you know lead you to think that this is more of a primate, and also that they, there's a huge chance that uh, Sasquatch does in fact exist. 
well, that that goes. I I'm well. I, I do not keep my uh, interest in the subject of Facebook private. I mean, I have. I started. I founded a coffee company called the Sasquatch Coffee Company. So mm-hmm. it's and I own a grocery store, the Food Basket in Garibaldi, Oregon. So stop by uh, this weekend <laughs> for Memorial Day. Get your beer. Okay, sorry, but uh, but I mean, <laughs> I have Bigfoot stuff up in the store. You know, I host. I I co-host a a Bigfoot radio show, and I tell people about it. And you know, every once in a while, somebody wants to rib me about uh, uh, Bigfoot. And I, I say, you know what, my, I, and I had a, a gentleman who was a logger who said, you know, I've been in my the woods my whole life and I've never seen blah, blah, blah. And I said, prove to me that they exist. And I'm like, you know what, I don't, you prove to me that they don't exist because there is a preponderance of evidence that, and it, it comes down to this, if one piece of evidence is not fabricated or misidentified, um, then they exist or and and you have to say they because and it's funny I still have had people will occasionally have people ask well is it more than is it just Bigfoot that they can't separate the fact that that's not a plural name that that uh, that uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it's one it's one entity and like uh, I said that you, if you've got one you've got to have I mean either it's the last one and because of there there's still a uh, distribution of reports in more than one specific location. That means there's a population of them. Uh, you can guess whatever that population is. Um, and it, that's all you can do is make sure guess. Um, but uh, if one piece of evidence is not fabricated or misidentified, it's, then there is something that created that evidence. If it's audio footprint, something is leaving large human-like footprints around the globe. Um, in, and and if, I, I'm sure if you plotted the bell curve of of where uh, population and reports, and, you know, well, that'd be squatometrics thing. You know, they yeah. I bet the distribution would look like where um, you would expect them. There's zero in Hawaii. You know, then there's uh, many in, and I, I'm sure there's a correlation between you know because between woods and population. Right, there's a map like that right now. Yeah, you, uh, if, if you cor- okay. yeah, if you put the map, the United States, just North America, or just United mm-hmm. States on a map, and you look at all the forested areas, and areas that. where yeah. they get rain, that's where the Sasquatch sightings are. And right. you bring up a there good was point. Actually a, there was an you actual bring up a good gap point. down the middle of the United States where there was yeah. very that, few. Yeah. yeah, right. Right, and you bring up a good point, though. If just one of those... Um, Sightings are legit, and and you're talking about the flats and the BFRO. Well, that's that's mm-hmm. the reported sightings, and there's hundreds right. that never get investigated. That's just the reported, right. reported sightings. Think how many more are unreported or never shared. If if even just one of those, <laughs> or or one, got something yeah. to it. Well, hello, you know, and that's <laughs> what boggles my mind is that um, science really, you know. I almost wish the BFRO and uh, these other uh, groups, including ourselves, um, if science wasn't really uh, involved or enthusiastic about it, here you go. You guys do the legwork. You guys yeah, look at they the don't reports. Want to. They don't yeah. want to. They don't want to because right. it's fringe, and they just can't fathom this being out there. And it's, it's this is why um, 
John Bindernagel had oh, such an issue. Oh, I was thinking of John. <laughs> yeah, well, he comes yeah. to mind every time because he, you know, here's right. a biologist out of Vancouver Island who's uh, who's had, uh, you know, his own um, not sighting, but he's found some phenomenal evidence. But, but even if he didn't yeah. find anything, right. he can look at the reports, the interviews, the witnesses, and, and the evidence out there, and go, okay, there's something to this. We need to. As a scientific community, look at this, and it boggles his mind that mm-hmm. science is so uh, uh, adherent. They're like, no, we're, you know, no. And it, that's no, the biggest a, issue. It's not the fact that Saskatchewan exists. It's that science won't get involved with the possibility. Right. And and right. really, and as, as a host of Monster X, I'd really love to have some people on that are outside the Bigfoot community, um, We've talked. There's a uh, primatologist in uh, in uh, Forest Grove that teaches at. So if you're listening and you know this mm-hmm. gal, teaches this professor that teaches primatology because um, not only is she a primatologist, she her uh, area of uh, interest has to do with uh, audio, which you know the yes. the vast. For me, I mean, we, we've had a lot of audio stuff happen, some stuff that I, you know, um, that blows me away. I mean, we, yeah. you know, we we had a recording of when uh, you and Larry and I were up there and had, you heard stuff moving at Supreme Knox and then, and then something, and then when we listened to the recorder that was actually in camp. Um, yeah, pretty close to camp. It yeah. Was, yeah, no, it, the, no, the recorder that I had said in camp. We hear brush moving and then something pinged like, and and then we hear, and yeah. I to to not to be crass, but I about crapped myself. I mean, not to yeah. me was one of those like, what the? And then I proceeded to erase that recording <laughs> by yeah, my excitement yeah, of listening to it over and over again. Yeah, the thing about that recording was, you know, I and I'll touch on this briefly just to give the mm-hmm. audience a little bit of a. An idea was that uh, you that night uh, you were sleeping in your jeep. You know, usually tent, mm-hmm. but you were sleeping in your jeep. Uh, Larry was out. He, I hear him snoring, and I heard a knock. And uh, mm-hmm. this is a very loud knock uh, down the road. And I I was awake. That woke me up. I mean, I was kind of probably half asleep. And then a knock r- right above camp, and it sounded like wood on wood or something. Just a loud knock. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't heard a knock like that. Um, this was a couple of years ago, but I hadn't heard a knock like that uh, until my, you know, uh, from my initial experience. And I stood, I, I stayed awake, and there was nothing um, other than uh, 20 minutes, you know, uh, I wouldn't say 10 to 15 minutes later, there was a big metal ping in our camp. And I thought, there's something in our camp. Holy moly, uh, what's going on? So I'm listening, listening, nothing, nothing. And so I eventually fall asleep. And you, fortunately, Gunner had, you know, we had audio out there, but nothing in camp mm-hmm. other than your audio recorder. And when right. we listened back to the audio recorder, we picked up all of that. We heard the ping. But what we heard before the ping, the metal sound, which I thought was maybe a pot being hit or a pan, was actually yeah. a part of Larry's truck. You heard a, something bounce off the ground. It took us a while to figure that out because we yeah, went around did. dinging on everything that was metal trying to make. And you, the best uh, description was that it sounded like a cowbell. And cowbell, we need right. cowbell. Yeah, we need more cowbell. Yeah, I mean, but, cowbell. Uh, but, it, but, but some, listening some, to the audio, you could, you could yeah. hear something hit the ground Into and bounce and hit something metal. And you hear this, yeah. uh, uh, 
you know, and you heard yeah. brush movement, and uh, that, that fell right in line. Mm. That fell right in line with, uh, you know, the, we're not just researching this area on a whim. Obviously, we've had, mm-hmm. you, you know, other experiences, but this area historically has had rocks thrown into camps. There was sightings. Um, that right. area there has got a ton of sightings, uh, whether it's, mm-hmm. you know, within like five miles. So um, it's that to me was when I, you know, was very compelling and interesting. I just want to give the audience a little background on that because that mm-hmm. to me it had been a wall up until then. And then I heard that. I was like, wow, they're, wow. Uh, you know, and, and now, you know, come last weekend um, or two weeks ago, sorry, I was out there mm-hmm. and recorded something uh, in the same sounds other than, you know, the very, uh, I, I call them grunts uh, mm-hmm. and something by Pell walking by my recorder. I mean, it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Did I see it mm-hmm. walk by my recorder? No, no. But I know the area and mm-hmm. I know the animals in the area. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's pretty awesome to me. Pretty awesome. When you, and the thing is, is we don't just listen to audio. Initially, um, Good point. Again, bless, bless, bless Larry's heart. Larry would take the recordings and listen to them. Um, and we, we might have, initially, we might have one or two recorders out there that, and uh, and, and we learned something from uh, me, the deletion of that uh, kind of epic recording. We uh, jokingly called it the Gunner Protocol, is that... Um, when we would not uh, leave without up, uploading, it's been a learning experience. You know, we're uh, and we learn the first. You know, when I show up and I'm usually late, the first thing I do when I get out of my jeep is say, "Do, do we have audio?" And and that's part of our protocol is to start recording because we've missed things by not recording when we get there. We've missed things that have happened. After we turn the recorders off, thinking everything's you know done for the, uh, and uh, it's but now the progression was and back to your uh, point about collaboration is uh, one of the huge steps forward that the Tilma group made was making the association with the Olympic project, um, mm-hmm. and uh, I was I was familiar with Derek. Randall's by reputation, we knew common people. Um, I believe Derek was even in the BFRO. Uh, I used to go to, I went to two, three, I think three expeditions up um, past where uh, the Olympic projects centered now um, out of, uh, I can't even remember the name of the little town there, but there was an area that we would, that uh, a group went there, and then we had weird stuff happen then. But uh, uh, we were invited to attend a, a public expedition, like there was this last weekend for the Olympic project. And several of our the, the Tillman members went, and uh, and it was it was a cool experience. And subsequently, we were invited to become members of the Olympic project. And um, Derek. Uh, and and uh, David Ellis and Tom Baker, but I I, I knew David from a long time ago, and uh, um, I knew when we were going up before we went up there, I was telling Larry, you're, I, I want you to meet David. You know he's he's a, uh, into audio, and uh, and it was funny as soon as they were like 
immediately were talking and sharing notes, and, and David helped uh, get us to where we were actually uh, analyzing the audio, not just listening to it for weird sounds, you know, that that's uh, interesting in itself, but it's, it doesn't get really go anywhere if you're just listening to recordings. Uh, we now analyze the audio through Sonic Visualizer and uh, look for anomalies. We know, you know, you listen to enough audio, you know what all the, the known stuff is and you know what isn't the known stuff. So, and, and you can, there's actually a database of all kinds of uh, known animals that you can, can look at to compare your not known stuff. And, you know, audio is great because it's a very passive way to collect data. Um, and and if what we've recorded in in uh, our research area is indeed Bigfoot, they don't seem to be intimidated by audio. Um, we, on occasion, thought, you know, it sounded like something actually picked up or sniffed the uh, audio recorders different times. It doesn't seem to be Sasquatch repellent. Um, and and nothing has to walk directly by a recorder to catch a distant call. So something, you know, isn't even seeing your audio recorder, and they can they, they don't know that you're recording them. I don't think they have any concept, you know, of a recorder. So... Um, which then you know, makes me wonder what, why people think that they know what a camera is. Um, right. It might look a little weird, on, but anyway, it's it's uh, we don't just, uh, but it's it's an easy way to collect a lot of data, and then but it also is you have to have somebody, and again, back to Larry and you, that is willing to sit there and go through that audio. Um, and find the things that the nuggets of, of possible weird stuff. Um, I've had a lot of you know we've I've been whistle I've had a whistle in front of me about within probably uh, 50 yards. I know it was within 50 yards in the dark. You know that um, I I don't know what it was, but it was in a it was interesting because it was in a time frame when um, you and Larry had had a couple whistles in um, close proximity within, you know, within a month of that happening. So, yeah. Let, let's and, let's talk a little bit uh, about one of the experiences that I was not present during where you and Larry had gone out, uh, were placing audio and had mm. this um tremendous amount of almost like a a, a bass sounding, you know, this bass was incredible. And I've heard the the audio on it and mm-hmm. you guys have shared with other people and they have no idea what it was. Uh other than Larry Feeling the uh, feeling like you guys need to get out of there. Uh, you, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, of course, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Larry, Larry refers to it as Jurassic Park night. Um, yeah. Larry sometimes has, I mean, has a flair for the dramatic um, mm-hmm. because to me, I, I that's a very specific thing where in Jurassic Park you you know there's the T-Rex footprint and. And it's walking and it's shaking the water and you feel it. I did not feel any percussion per se. Um, but Larry and I were meeting. We weren't actually going to camp up there that night. We were meeting to go deploy uh, a parabolic dish uh, in the research area. Larry got a new parabolic dish. Let's go put it out and see what happens. Really dark night. Pitch black. 
moonless night, um, and uh, we went uh, up a trail that's um, not what in a, in a direction we don't usually go after dark. We have a way we'll move around in that area, but uh, um, it's just not. We don't. It, it it occurs to me that we didn't. It was an area that we would go to or frequent at night, and uh, we start walking out. And uh, I hear a whistle, and it's it's kind of um, from our position. It's like southwest of where we're at, back towards where we were were parked. And we proceed up the trail, and Larry hears a whistle, but it's it's uh, it's also south, but it's east. So it's like the, from two different locations. And so we go off trail with the deploy, the parabolic mic, and, uh, you know, you kind of hear stuff and you just kind of, oh, that's interesting, and you deal about with what you're doing. And But while we're off the trail and we're attaching this parabolic mic to the tree, to a tree, I, I hear, like, a percussion sound. like, And it, to me, it sounds like boom, boom. Uh, and that's probably not even doing it. It's just that there's more, like, a uh, reverberation to it. And it's it's again, south of where we're at. And I, I listen and I say, Larry, you hear that? And he hears it. We're, like, scratching our heads. And and um, there are some roads that direction. And so I'm, I, I put it off to, like, well, you know what it sounds like? It sounds like when somebody, like a kid's got their face turned up in their, on the stereo in their car. And so I kind of put it off to that. And I'm like, okay, well, that, maybe that's what it is. But we continue. We get, go back to what we're doing. We finish. And we, we hear it again. And we walk back to the trail that we had come in on, and I like, have the bright idea. So, well, let's turn on lights off and see what happens. We were both wearing headlamps, pitch black. Can't see. I can't see my hand from my face, kind of black. And uh, we hear the percussion again, but it's closer. <laughs> and and, and uh, we turn our lights on, and Larry, had, Larry is always packing. He carries a sidearm. And he actually has his hand on his sidearm. And I've, I've been up there a lot with Larry. Larry is a consummate outdoorsman, hunter, fisherman, hiker. I mean, uh, he's, you know, have a lot of experience outdoors. And he's like, we, we, got, we need to get out of here. And I've never seen Larry be nervous like that before. The weird thing is I, I just don't think I lack the self-preservation uh, gene that because my whole brain is like thinking, you should. What the heck? Could, yeah, I was like, "What the heck is that noise? What could be making that noise?" And so we proceed to back down the trail. we and but the sound keeps. We continue to hear it, but it it seems like it's above us on on the trail or in the position. And I I was behind Larry, and I would periodically turn around. Look, I never saw anything, but we hear this. We hear it the entire way to where we're parked. But at one point, and I didn't realize at the time what was Larry was point was, he said, we're being flanked. And I'm like, okay, well, yeah, if whatever it is, is, is following us, I get it. But no, what later when we had a chance to talk about it, he heard the same percussion sound from, so basically it, it kind of started, um, from the lo- in the general location of where Larry heard his whistle, 
And then he also heard it coming from um, where I heard the whistle when we were coming in. And we get back, and, and I, I mean, we're dedicated Bigfooters, so we were de- going to deploy another recorder. We stopped to do that even though we were hearing this weird sound, and we're kind of all freaked out about it. Um, I, I, I talk very calm about it now, but I also recorded it myself afterwards because we uh, went back and, and I'm, I'm talking really fast and I'm, and I'm jacked up. So, um, But uh, as we're deploying this other recorder, we hear there's a creek that we have crossed and we hear this again directly directly across from us um, across the creek. And so we kind of walked quickly, briskly to where the uh, vehicles were parked. And we were actually deploying some more recorders and we went around and did that. But um, Larry actually um, used the, uh, not the panic mode, but he pushed the lock on his thing to beep his truck a few times as we were approaching it. So that was one of the weirdest um, unexplained. And I and I shared that with uh, Cliff Berkeley. He said, well, it sounds like it could be grouse, unless it was at night. And I said, no, it was at night. <laughs> and then like, yeah, hmm, yeah. I, uh, not grouse. I had a chance to listen. I had a chance to listen to the, recording and there's no way in, in Hades that's grouse uh, I don't know what it is uh, and, and others have listened to this including David Ellis of the Olympic Project mm-hmm. and and they have no idea I mean it's, it's really really freaking weird I ain't gonna lie it's weird and it's loud and it's almost like mm-hmm. vibrating you know, boom. You know yeah, there's um, a more re- I'm not doing it justice when I try to replicate it because there was more of a reverberation to, not that I felt anything but um but there was more boom, boom. boom. I mean, it it was weird, and yeah, uh, don't know yeah. what it was. Well, but it it got us out of the area quickly. Right, right. Uh, and so leads me to my next question, Gunner. You know, um, have you know you have been involved with the subject for so many years. You you've had interviewed a ton of witnesses. Uh, been out to a ton of areas. Excluding some of the more, more well-known um, pieces of evidence or uh, stories out there, what is the you know some of those more compelling evidence for Sasquatch being out there? Now you've not had this this visual like some of us have had, <clears throat> mm-hmm. and so you're not tainted. I, I guess I could say that way. Um, <laughs> uh, not that I'm tainted, but you know you're going off of of a lot of different things. So. What is some of the more compelling things you've encountered personally, and 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 those that you you you've interviewed and and the stuff you've researched? I mean, hmm. what's going on here? I mean, where do you fall? Obviously, you're not a complete believer, but you you, you know you give that one percent chance that it's not real. But I mean, what are yeah, some of the all more compelling the things that every eyewitness is is misidentified or is crazy? I mean, and that's not even honestly. I can't even say that because I I know you. I know um, we've had two of our members of our group uh, and a close association associate of one of those members have had. We've had three visual sightings in our research area in the last year. So yeah, um, I, it, it falls down to I I either have to believe that what they're saying is true and that your encounter is true, and that I mean so really I. It isn't. I I don't believe a Bigfoot. I think Bigfoot exists. I mean, um, and I believe and I trust 
there's people that I trust implicitly that that have had the confirmation experience. So um, the most compelling, um, well, the 14-foot, Bigfoot story was interesting uh, in the investigation. The, the witness was very sincere, and it was interesting. The side story that came out of that is uh, they had a, uh, a son that, I don't want to say, five or six years old, and they had used they had had a little duck pond, and um, and then there was like an embankment, and uh, the son told uh, a story uh, of being out cutting up apples and uh, to feed to the ducks, and turning around and looking up on the top of the embankment and seeing two small white Bigfoot, um, and this was uh, I mean either the he was either you know, rehearsed very uh, well or it was a sincere story. That one to me was pretty interesting uh, because it, there was, it was an associ- association with another story in the very same area with a white Bigfoot. So that was, that was interesting. My own experience is the, the Crescendo Night thing, off the charts, um, Jurassic Park Night, off the charts. Um, the the uh, other, uh, I've heard, you know, um, we were camped up there last year, and there was a bunch of us. Ratman and Mollus was with us. Uh, Greg Razor was with us. Um, and there was we were camped in various locations and uh, had got together centrally to have dinner. We go back up and, and uh Greg had had some sticks near his tent uh, that were just kind of tossed there. Well, he, I, I get up there and, and Repman and Greg, what? Come look at this. And uh, the sticks were not random anymore. They looked to be very arranged, sitting right in front of Greg's tent, which, I mean, it, it could have been a person, I suppose, and, and but the probability of somebody sitting there and doing that seemed so low. And then we went down to um, you and Larry were camped, uh, I call it, in an area called Far East because it's the farthest point on uh, this, this area. And your tent was unzipped and your sleeping bag had been moved and uh, it was wet all down by the zipper, which was really odd. Um, and, and subsequently... Uh, a few months ago, it's been that long. Larry had a a sighting, and when I went and looked on Google Maps of where Larry's sighting was and where that camp was, it's like 800 feet uh, right, from right. the sighting. And I'm like, whoa, that's pretty interesting. The other, you know, uh, uh, really interesting night up there was uh, when Jess and just had her daughter Grace up there, and I camped up there. And we're sitting around the fire and and shitty chatting. And uh, uh, Jess is telling the story. And uh, all of a sudden, there, there's a loud crash, like, right behind her where she's sitting. And she, like, jumps across the fire and lands on the other side of where I was sitting. And I, like, my, my first thought was I looked, you know, where the crash was coming up. And then I started remembering, like, is something coming out of the woods because it was so loud, and uh, it 
the next day when we went and looked, um, there was, she remembered looking um, to her left from where she was sitting and, and seeing brush move like something had hit the brush. And we, we actually found a, a rock um, a, a for maybe softball size, a little bigger, um, about a little bit bigger, yeah. Within, yeah, within three feet of where she had been sitting. And uh, so I, our best guess is that's what had made the loud crash. Uh, well, the interesting part that you kind of left out was that what well, was I, I hadn't got to that yet. Yes. Oh, yeah, please do. Was, that, it was that's actually me. I wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah, I heard. It, yeah, at, actually, um, later I, I didn't realize it at the time, but later when I listened to the recording, um, she, she's telling the story of how she had worked with primates pre- previously, and she go she goes, and it makes this agitated chimp sound, and it's immediately after that that this crash takes place, um, which I found extremely interesting. I remember standing up. Uh, once we, I stopped laughing at Jess's response. I I stood up and like made sounds into the woods, and nothing happened after that. But um, and this um, subsequently, we've had other stuff happen in that particular area. You saw yes. some a heat sign or a uh, not a heat signature that was actually night vision. You were watching something oh, yeah. and you weren't quite sure and. Uh, and then the next day it was gone. I mean, you, yeah. it was, Nine whatever next was day. it was mobile. Yeah. Yeah. Always, yeah. yeah. It's an, it's a, an area of high interest to me recently. Uh, mm-hmm. Basically uh, what happened to you guys and I kind of kicked it off. And so I decided, you know, I'm going to spend some time in this camp, whether uh, we have our groove out there or not, I'll go out solo. I don't care. Mm-hmm. And subsequently, you know, I, I've, um, it's, it, it now is my, uh, when I'm here in Oregon uh, and in the Tillamook area, this is my area of interest. It's it's mm-hmm. a weird little location. It makes a lot of sense, though, having reviewed it topographically uh, and, and whatnot as to the vantage point for something to come in and view you and still feel uh, safe or mm-hmm. still uh, feel concealed. And I've had multiple experiences in this area now both uh, via therm and audio, um, that is a, it's a area of high interest to me. There's something going on here. Uh, and uh, Cindy, Can- Cindy Cadell and I were out in this area a few months back and caught something on, on, on mm-hmm. therm that was <clears throat> very, uh, very interesting. Uh, she had gone to bed, and, and uh, I had uh, stayed up a little bit later than her. And this is uh, after 11.30. And I decided to therm around some more and, and caught something on therm, and, and uh, it was acting weird. It was uh, it seemed large to me. It was from a distance, seemed to be uh, focused on our direction, for lack of better terms, and mm-hmm. it disappeared. And I thought, well, shoot, I don't want to be the only one to view this. So let me get uh, Cindy. And I woke Cindy up, and she came out and... Um, couldn't find this subject that I was viewing at first, and uh, eventually she did, and she was like, oh, I see it. And she was asking, I have this all on audio because I recorded the whole thing. Uh, unfortunately, the therm I owned at the time, uh, or we were using at the time, could not record, so that's unfortunate. I've uh, subsequently fixed that. But <laughs> she had seen this thing through the therm, 
and was giving me questions like, could it be a rabbit, could it be this, or a, a, um, a raccoon? And I'm like, no, it can't be, because given, you know, we're looking over bushes, uh, you cannot see the ground, and raccoons don't move like that, um, especially, you know, on a tree. And this thing was, you know, behind a tree. And she, I, I think I see two of them. I think two of them. And then, you know, subsequently, like I said, she uh, has since regressed and said, you know, it may have been a shoulder. I saw this thing on both sides of the tree. And when she she was viewing this um, viewing this subject, it, it, she yelled hello, and and this thing immediately ducked down straight down. She vocalized like hello right at it, and this thing dropped straight down, and she got freaked out a little bit. She's like whoa, it, I just you know yelled hello and it dropped straight down. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just one uh, incident in this area. Like you said, I uh, had a conducted experiment where the night. I had spent two nights in this camp, and the first night I got something r- really close to camp on audio. In fact, very close to uh, my tent in this area that w- that piqued my interest um, via the sounds and the movement and uh, an impression I had found um, close to the camping area. And so I thought, well, do you know what? It was actually very close to my truck. You can drive into this. Camp. Right, right, yeah. And, yeah. The ground and was so I just like something that, yeah, it was interesting. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, really close to. I had uh, I had lots of audio out there, but I had placed an audio on my truck tire, and, and flipped it upside down because this task and gives off a little red light. So I I tipped it upside down to kind of conceal the light. Uh, mm-hmm. It wasn't perfect, obviously. And given the audio that was recorded that I had listened to the next day and the impression there, I thought, you know what, I'm going to spend the night in my truck, leave my can out there, leave my audio out there, and and uh, spend the night in the truck. I covered up all the windows and I had my my FLIR. And mm-hmm. um, I stayed awake most of the night. I did those off, and I'd wake up, and then I viewed something on, on there's something on the hill. I viewed something on the hill above my tent mm-hmm. in the area of interest uh, where I've gotten other audio, especially recently. And at first, I thought, oh, that's a stump. That's a stump. Uh, you know, it was kind of a, I, th- I believe, a kind of a warm day, and so I thought, it's a stump. And I'm thinking, wait, there's no stump there. I'm viewing it, viewing it, and um, this thing seemed to be swaying back and forth. I'm thinking, Two o'clock in the morning, two thirty in the morning. I'm tired. I'm, I'm imagining things. I'm watching this thing kind of like it, it seemed to be a ball, hunched down. Uh, you know, not standing up, just kind of like a big ball, like a stump. <clears throat> you know, so I'm coming up with everything possibly in my head that I could think of what it could be. Then realizing there's no stump there, thinking, is it a bear? What's going on? There are bear in this area. So I'm, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, I decide that, uh, well, I got the, the, the creepy feeling that this thing can see me. You know, the, the flare will go off a light. Mm-hmm. You, know, um, you know, we can't see it, but I don't know what can. But we'll give off um, a light. So I'm thinking, this thing can see me. You know, I got my windows covered up. I'm peering out. So I decided I decided to uh, get out of my truck. And when I did, you know, I, I with the flare, I didn't see it. It was gone. Uh, I got out walked towards it, it was gone. And so, another story, of course, um, what was on the hill, I have no idea. But that area there is, is freaking awesome because uh, we seem to get something passing through there. And, you know, I was out there two weeks ago uh, and put audio right up in that exact area. And it, had some, and it was raining. It had something that very much, uh, which sounds to me very bipedal. David Ellis has since looked at this and, and kind of, thought the same thing, something big, bipedal, it's so loud, 
you hear it approach the close to the recorder and do these grunts that sound very primate-like, <clears throat> pardon me, which I've recorded in the Olympics and other areas. And so uh, I think, you know, Gunner, that this area is, is you know, it's an area of high interest given um, the history, not just with the Tillamook Forest Group, but given the history in general, the sightings, um, the reports, and, you know, it's kind of cool because we are working with some individuals, uh, I won't say working with, but they're, um, you know, working out there, and that's their job, that are very mm-hmm. open to what we do. And that's kind of cool to me. It can kind of kill some of the, the conspiracies out there of individuals, uh, you know, involved with the parks and recreation and BLM and everything else that are, they, you know, people want to say are hiding this creature. And I disagree uh, especially uh, being involved in the Olympic Project and some of the people working with us. I mean, what are your thoughts on the whole conspiracy thing? Oh, I don't know what, yeah, I, I don't know what the, uh, they may have a unstated policy, but then you're going to, you know, yeah. when you're dealing with individuals, um, they seem to be, you'd have, you'd have to have a curiosity if you knew or, or had some, suspicion that there was something that existed. I mean, just because you work for a government agency, it's not men in blackish kind of, you know. Uh, I think these are people that we've gotten to know. Um, again, Larry, Larry is a very good uh, networker. Uh, he uh, talks to everybody and makes friends with, you know, and has made contact with people that work in this area. And they're they're not. They're pretty open about about stuff. So um, I don't. I don't yeah, see including reports. Could, could I mean, they've that, shared many yeah. many right. reports with us. Yeah, and they and um, even recently, I believe they were saying that um, there have been some reports of audio stuff going on by other yeah. people camping in the area. So right, it's um, at least. I mean, if you get to know people, um, when I was on an expedition uh, with the BFRO, um, we had a forest person come into uh, the area where we our our uh, camp was, and uh, I, I talked to Matt Moneymaker and uh, suggest an area that we go uh, because there was an area that they uh, where there was a lot of old growth and that. Uh, they did, that people in the forest department did not like to go. So, I mean, if you worked in the forest that much, you've got to have some kind of idea. Um, mm-hmm. And there's got to be, conver- you know, conversation. At, if, if, uh, but you may also, it may also be something that people don't share with people that they work with. And if you work in the forest department, you don't want people to think you're crazy and not. You right. can work, you can be in the woods for a long period of time and not have um, any kind of experience. It's, uh, I, it's also interesting is when you start talking to people that that hunt a lot, or or uh, even like Les Stroud when he was doing his Bigfoot series, um, talked about things that he had heard and, and put off something else. You know, not right. giving it a, any Bigfoot was it, it, a, a part of it is your frame of reference of, of Bigfoot. If you don't have any concept, or you just think it's you know a a funny thing that shows up on news programs once in a while. You don't you don't attribute anything that you hear to Bigfoot. But when if you have a context, 
um, and hear a tree fall over um, when you approach a certain area, or you hear a scream that doesn't sound like uh, something you've heard before, you have you have a reference point, you know. So, yeah, I, no, that's a good point. Yeah. That's a great point. Uh, you know, and I think uh, that happens a lot with mm-hmm. the the non-reported stuff in campers. You know. That, uh, you know, perfect example is, and in, in, even in our area, you know, uh, that we research in, in the Tomac area, there's campgrounds out there and stuff. And um, one of my favorite things to do is go into uh, these campground forums and the campground sites and just review people's experiences. And mm-hmm. uh, lo and behold, just like a, many of the hunter forums that have nothing to do with Sasquatch, you get Sasquatch reports. You get people going, hey, have you had this happen to you? Or, uh, you know, I'm never going back there again because something came up and screamed at our tent or this and that. And they're like, it's the craziest experience I've ever had. and Or I had bipedal stuff or something was throwing rocks at us. They never get reported but are shared in these private forums that have nothing to do with Bigfoot. People think mm-hmm. uh, people have a Bigfoot experience and they're going to share it with the BFRO or, or other groups or keep it to themselves. Well, a lot of times, you know, like the hunting forums I, you know, listen or review – um, they're looking for answers. They have no idea what's going on. They, they've been out hunting for 30 years in certain areas, and they never had anything happen. And then this one time, bam, uh, they had this mm-hmm. sighting or this crazy experience. And usually, nine times out of ten, they get laughed out of the forum or made fun of, and you can tell they're honest. And Why subjugate yourself to posting something like that if you're not going to get bl- – I mean, you're going to get blasted, but they're so curious about it. A lot of times they don't even know right. where to go. So, well, I think that's, that's been my experience with witnesses. In fact, um, Larry, um, when I shortly after I met him, I don't know if it was the first time I met him or, or some time shortly thereafter, told me about an experience that he'd had um, 30 years before where he something he was out um, scouting elk or hunting elk and, and was trailed by something um, in the woods for like two miles or something he's hiking back you know getting back to his car but he would catch glimpses of something moving through the woods and it's crashing and it, you know he never got a glimpse and he had not told anybody in 30 years um, I was the first person I, I just got that kind of face I guess but and there I have I've had similar experiences with with uh, with other witnesses that Right. I mean, you think about that. It's it's a pretty shocking. It's got to be a, a especially if you're not a, a Bigfoot researcher, which there's very few in in the entire human population that, of people that are really Bigfoot researchers. There's Bigfoot enthusiasts, you know, or big, Bigfoot that they find Bigfoot entertaining or have heard of Bigfoot, but most, you know, it's got to be in the ninety percentile that people don't really believe that Bigfoot exists. So to have a, a, a sudden shocking experience of being face-to-face with something you didn't know exists that you thought was a funny thing in a news program or, or oh, wasn't that the, that guy was pushing around the fake Bigfoot and charging people to see it? Or I saw it in a freezer on, you know, uh, oh, yeah, that's – or Bigfoot died because – somebody who admitted to making tracks, oh, they, and just promoted that way in news. Oh, yeah, that's they proved that, oh, the, there's some guy that had said he was the 
in that suit for that that movie, you know. So it's uh, a lot of times people don't that have an experience don't know where to talk to. And and another person that I talked to about their encounter had had it had an experience like thirty years before and uh had initially told some of their family members and was made fun of. So they they shut up about it. They didn't tell another person for all that time. And like you gotta think that you what do, what do I do with this information? You know, if you've had an experience yeah. like that and you don't where do I turn to? Most people don't you know, some people can go online and find the BFRO or or they know somebody or find some investigator, but a lot of people don't have any context and are afraid to tell people because they don't want to be thought of as crazy or, or, you know, or a liar. So. Right. Right. And, and you know what that reminds me of Gunner is the uh, town hall, you know, we uh, got offered up opportunity to do a town hall sort of setup, kind of like what finding Bigfoot does, but with the, uh, um, Hopsquatch, Guy Edwards Hopsquatch, I met here in Portland, yes. and we had a freaking mm-hmm. huge turnout. Now, mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that really stuck out to me, well, first of all, the amount of people that showed up. Uh, secondly, was the amount of people you know that uh, spoke up, that were interested in the subject, uh, those that had encounters, and we're talking about a non-finding Bigfoot event. You know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, this isn't going to be uh, shared publicly. This is an event. Um, set up here in Portland where people came from Washington, uh, you know, different parts of Washington, and uh, I think even a few from Northern California, but mostly Oregon and Washington that shared their encounters uh, that were very interesting and compelling. But yet, you you know, a lot of these people, um, not only did they seem honest, but you could tell they didn't really want to be up there, but they wanted to be up there because they mm-hmm. knew that what they had experienced. Uh, some of them I had talked to previously, and some I had not. And, you know, they just showed up. You know, and we did this town hall event, and it was a huge turnout. And the stories and um, uh, whatnot were just amazing. Uh, I was I was shocked. Yeah, no, I mean, it, first of all, that was a kick-ass. That was fun, and I that was fun. Uh, yeah, yeah, I appreciate a guy trusting us in entrusting his his uh, event Baby. to us for yeah. Yeah, um, but I think he was happy to get a week or a month where he got to go play on the beach while we we uh, took care of, you know, got in the driver's seat, and it was a blast, and I appreciated all the folks that came out and, and uh, shared their stories. It was it was cool. Um, yeah. But, yeah, there's, there is that, you know, people, I think a lot of witnesses want to be able to tell somebody, but they also want to be able to, to tell somebody without being judged. And that's that's a, that's a big role for me as a as a investigator when I talk to a witness is that um, it's their story. It's not my story. It's their story. So it's it's listening without judgment. Um, you know, do I gauge? You know, whether or not I think what they're telling me is factual. Yes, um, but uh, I'm not going to. You know. Unless they say, well, I saw a Bigfoot piling a UFO and he went over 7-Eleven and stopped and got a Slurpee. And, I mean, I, you know, it's obvious <laughs> BS. Um, I'm going to let them tell their story. And, and I've had people yeah. um, that we 
uh, invite to be on the show that, you know, they they want to know that they're not going to be exploited, you know, or uh, made fun of. We're not inviting you on the show to beat you up. Uh, we want to hear your experience, and we appreciate that you're you're willing to come and publicly. And we've had people on the show that, that have not shared their experience publicly before. And uh, right. I always think I always appreciate somebody entrusting um, me or, in case of the Monster X, with uh, their their encounter. I mean, that's it's it's uh, for some people it's a life altering for everybody. I think that has a confirmation experience. It's a life altering kind of deal. I mean, if you if you're in a small club, um, the people that have that know um, that. Bigfoot is not, you know, um, Harry and the Hendersons is not uh, uh, a, it's not a, uh, a suit, you know, that somebody stuffed in a freezer. It, there is a living, breathing animal um, out there that that people on occasion experience. And there's a and there is a group of crazy people that dedicate <laughs> a particular amount of time to. Um, chasing them or or researching them. Um, I don't really think it's chasing so much, but right. So, and I think uh, we, you know, back to our our group is uh, in in rec- in recent events. One of the things that people could ask us, and I and you and I have talked about this, is well, if you're you know you're researching Bigfoot and and so and so had a. Uh, uh, Visual encounter. How come you didn't get video of it? Um, of the three visuals that uh, happened in our research area, uh, the first one was totally unexpected, and um, really wasn't. It was more of a casual camping trip um, than a an, a Bigfoot research outing. Um, the second one, which uh, occurred after that um, mm-hmm. was was by Larry and he wasn't even bigfooting. He was out for yeah. a Sunday drive basically, and uh, so and then um, the third one was not even one of our our members per se. They were out doing ATV stuff and uh, were coming back from somewhere and, and had not one but two witnesses. Uh, two witnesses, yeah, uh, yeah, and. And uh, the interesting thing about that is how close in proximity that encounter took place to Larry's encounter. So oh, now it's right there, yeah, the, basically. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Um, basically, well, all you had to do was turn them around because it's like Larry yeah, real was writing. You know, I mean, yeah. to touch upon that subject, and I'll make this brief. <laughs> but you know, while we were, you know, I attended the Olympic Project Expedition, uh, where we included a. Uh, members um this is up in washington our olympic site where we included uh members from the public to join us and one of the experiments we did which was we had asked everybody if they wanted to do this and they were very enthusiastic about it was uh tom baker had a bigfoot costume a really cruddy bigfoot costume and uh i actually talked about this on sat west germer's sasquatch chronicles show but uh you'll hear it here again real quick was the experiment was he was going to, Tom Baker was going to dress up in his costume, go out into the woods, and we were pretty far out there. And he wanted to see, and we had a large group of people, he wanted to see who could take a photograph of, 
of him uh, when he was crossing a road in the woods, standing still, just, you know, uh, acting uh, like a supposed Bigfoot would do. Uh, for me, it was more human-like, but, and, and, but still knowing that he was going to be out there somewhere. They didn't know where. They didn't know when he was going to appear, but they were supposed to try to take a picture. And he was spotted from time to time. Sometimes people walked right by him, including myself. Other times we saw him. But I'll tell you what, the interesting thing was, everybody already had their cameras out. They were ready to go. And this is, this is very interesting to me. It should be interesting to the audience out there as to why we don't have really good photos uh, nowadays, even when um, you, know, you see something, was the fact that everybody already had their cameras, cell phones, cameras out. Well, Tom in his costume, which stuck out like a sore thumb because it was not the same. It was a very uh, uh, poor color. It was um, kind of a orangey. Uh, it looked like a bad Bigfoot costume, that, and the co- colors didn't match anything out there. Yes, this was, was during it? the day, okay. in fact. Okay. And right. and the colors didn't match anything out there. You know, there's lots of stumps and everything else, but it was a a lighter uh, brownie orange color. And it didn't match anything out there. So he would cross a road, and everyone, you know, like I said, people walked right by him at times. But when they <laughs> did see him and tried to take a picture, it came out like a blob squatch. You got a blur. Right. You got a piece of it. Um, and so the whole exercise was to show people, uh, including ourselves, we learned a lot at the Lynn Project about this, uh, as well as our guests, that. It's difficult. If something's running by you or something from a distance, uh, you know, to take a picture, and you're already prepared to do so. We're not talking about right. them to see something and fidget for their phone or, or camera. We're not people prepared to take a picture knowing that they were going to see something or possibly see something. Right. And yeah. they failed. I failed. They failed. And so it was a great exercise in the fact to show people, um, including ourselves, that – it's that difficult, <laughs> okay? Yeah, when a sighting occurs, yeah, it's you that can't estimate Nine times out of ten, you, you're not prepared to see to take a picture. Right. Even if you have a camera, you're, you you got to think about the psychology of what's going on, too. Even if you yeah. had a camera at the ready and you see a Bigfoot, what's your brain doing? I mean, your brain is processing what you're seeing. And most of these, most encounters are not, like, extended. You're talking about very brief encounters that last seconds, you know, perhaps, or or if you're lucky, it's minutes. And but even if you have a camera, your brain has got to be like processed. Yeah, I've done this with bear. You know, I've seen a bear. I wanted to get my camera, and it was gone. You know, I mean, it's not rocket science. You know, I mean, you you need something to stand still. You know, it takes a, oh, a oh, human sure. and a subject uh, to have a scenario, and then you have to hope that subject stays still guess what it's a needle in a haystack and like you say gunner that needle's moving and mm-hmm. the same thing with trail cameras uh, it's just it's not mind-boggling to me whatsoever that we don't have these clear pictures um, and i don't buy into a whole lot of the blob squatches but it shows me that even when somebody's prepared and and, and really knows something's going to be there it doesn't pan out because sasquatch isn't around that long we're talking about you know a human in a costume that sticks out like a sore thumb and we can't get a good picture. Hello. So yeah. Hello, McFly. Hello. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, Hi. And we Bye. did. A, we did. A, we did that experiment up there last year with where. Uh, what was there? Three of the Olympic Project members that four. went and hit in the there woods. Was, four. 
Yeah, yeah, and they were yelling. Yeah, and we couldn't. This was at night with Therm. Right, right. We could not. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, and and same scenario. In fact, Todd Neese almost stepped on uh, one of the individuals. I think it was Derek that was laying alongside a log. Yeah. Yes. So, um, uh, people are, get so blown away that we don't have all the stuff. I don't. I don't. Uh, yeah. I don't think there's that many Sasquatch out there. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, just like every living animal, you know, it, it, it takes a perfect, it takes a perfect scenario to get this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, and we've so, talked but, about. It's interesting is that we've talked previously because um, I, I, some time ago about. Uh, Getting dash cams in and um, out of yeah. I'm losing you, Gunner. Hello. Yeah, there you go. Losing you. No, but the. I mean, how many reports are and and uh, basically, just like we're we have an audio protocol where we're recording all the time. Um, We talk. We need to introduce a video protocol where we're right. recording all the time because it isn't. It's going to be a chance. Bigfoot's not going to. It's unlikely that Bigfoot's going to walk in where you're camping and shake your hand and pose for pictures. It's going to be when you least expect it, um, as has happened um, twice to members of our our uh, research group. They're like you right. don't. First of all, after. After a while, you kind of let your, you can get complacent with that. You know, oh, well, yeah. I'm not probably going to see a Bigfoot today. But I can tell you that I, since um, Larry had his sighting, I, I purchased a dash, you know, a window cam, a dash cam thing. And every time that I'm going and coming now, I'm going to be recording. Yeah. Um, well, and I well, know Gunner, you have one. Go ahead. We all, yeah, we all prepared. We're down to our last, like, yeah, less than a minute, basically. Uh, what do you want to leave All the right. audience with? What's uh, real quick? What's uh, your, what do you want to leave the audience with? And what is the Tillamook group about? And what's Montrex about in like thirty seconds? <laughs> the Tillamook group is about collecting data and um, being there at the data discovery and and being scientific uh, as much as we can to uh, in the the pursuit of of Bigfoot. Uh, Montrex Radio. Uh, for me, it's it's a it's an honor to be uh, allowed the forum and the opportunity to participate um, and talk to people. It's for me, it's just fun to talk to people about Bigfoot. It's something I'd be doing anyway, and uh, I get to do it with a friend of mine, and we get to talk to really cool people about um, a subject that I'm passionate about. And I know that you're passionate about, um, and uh, we it, it's just something to, to do that I enjoy. So. Well, Gunner, it's uh, it's been an honor and a privilege to talk to you uh, on the opposite side of the table tonight, and uh, very fascinating show. I hope uh, the listeners out there enjoyed this show as much as I have, and we look forward to having you listen in on our next show next week. We really appreciate the, the viewership, listenership, and for Gunner Monson and Shane Corson, I want to thank you all. You all have a wonderful weekend, and that was a whoop for Gunner, I hope. That was me. No Sasquatches have been harmed in the filming in the show or recording of the show. Thank, <laughs> Thanks, Thank you for joining me on the opposite end of the table, Gunner. You bet. And uh, we'll have uh, we'll all see you next week. Thanks, Shane. Uh-huh.
Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.